It was pretty awesome last night. Uh, Wendy was here and we dedicated her baby. And it was just so cool because I remember seeing her in the hospital there at Loma Linda when we didn't know if the baby was going to make it, didn't know if she was going to make it. And there she was lying paralyzed, you know, pregnant. And, um, and so it was just an incredible moment last night as we just celebrated. Um, but I thought it was important that you guys saw the video too because um, to me, that story is a perfect illustration of what I was speaking about last week, about how it's not so much about the circumstances because a person who loves God is going to bring glory to God even through the painful times as well as, as the joyful times. And, uh, and the person who doesn't love God, I mean, if someone else who didn't love God went through the same situation as Wendy did, she would use it as an opportunity to curse God or to question God or to doubt God. See, because it's not about the circumstances, because two people can go through the exact same circumstance, and one will come out praising God, and the other one will come out cursing God and questioning God. Because circumstances don't change people. Experiences don't necessarily change people. See, for much of my Christian life, I used to think that it was all about experiences. And if, you know, I thought about the people that I love that didn't love God, and I think to myself, well, but if they would experience this, if something like this would happen in their life, then maybe they would change. In fact, I used to even pray for experiences for people. I used to pray, you know, I remember, I remember one time specifically, you know, I was a college pastor, you know, working with a college group, and, uh, and I was at this, this party with, you know, we kind of had a youth group, you know, get together, and this one girl wasn't there. This one girl that I, I saw kind of drifting away from the Lord, and so that just, you know, grieved me as the pastor, and I just, I, I left the party, I just walked around the block, and I just prayed for her. And as I was praying, I just said, Lord, you know, gosh, I just, I, I, I missed her, I wish she was still a part of things. God, would you bring her back to yourself? Would you do something tonight? Whatever it takes, Lord, even if it takes a tragedy, would you do something tonight just to get her attention and bring her back to you? I get a phone call the next day, and that very girl that I had prayed for was in the hospital now. And, uh, and I talked to her, and she goes, I don't know what happened. I was driving along, and suddenly my accelerator got stuck. You know, and, and, and I couldn't control my car, and I turned, and I turned right into a house. She goes, I ran into a house. I drove right into a house, and I don't know why it happened. I thought, oh, I do. And uh, she, you know, and... Uh, and so I've been in the hospital all night long, and she goes, and the whole time I've been in here, I've been thinking to myself, well, you know, what if I would have died? She says, I just kept thinking, what if I would have died? Am I really ready to see God, and would I have gone to heaven? She says, because I'm thinking in my mind, was I serious about my relationship with God? Did I really have a relationship with God? And she goes, so for all night, I've been praying and asking God and, and questioning and, and just really working on my relationship with Him. And so I'm thinking, wow, that's awesome. You know, what a great answer to prayer. If that's what it took, then that's what it took. But God's brought you back to himself. But then about a month later, started walking away from the Lord again and went right back into the old life. Now, that's a pretty common story, isn't it? I mean, you know, where, where you, you probably know of people or maybe that was you where there was something that happened in your life and you thought it was going to change you forever and maybe something happened and maybe it got you, you know, a little shocked for a moment, but after time that experience wore off and you went back to life as usual. Why? Because experiences don't necessarily change people. It's only God's Holy Spirit that can change a human heart. And that's the issue, is do you have a heart to glorify God? Do you want to believe in God? 
Because two people can go through the same thing and one will come out praising God and the other person will come out cursing God. The person who hates God is going to find every reason to hate him and judge him and question him and doubt him. So it doesn't matter how wonderful it is. If something wonderful happens, he takes credit for it himself. Something bad happens, he blames God and says there can't be a God. Because again, it's not about circumstances. It's not about experiences. And I don't think there's a better, more vivid example than Luke chapter 13. Because in Luke 13, what you have is you've got this crowd of people. They all experience the same thing. One crowd leaves excited about God. The other side leaves cursing Him. You know, as you're turning to Luke chapter 13, um, last week, remember last weekend we took the, the offering for the poor? And we said, you know, everything that uh, we give today is going to go to the poor. Well, last weekend in that one offering, you guys gave $186,000. That's huge. That's a lot of money. That's so awesome. And, you know, we look at it and we go, man, that's a lot of money. But you've got to understand, when you take that to a third world country... That's a ridiculous amount. I mean, the amount of money and the amount of things we're going to be able to do with that money overseas, and we'll keep you posted as we, as we uh, continue to do projects overseas with that, along with our regular giving. Man, it's just, it's huge. And so uh, I thought you guys would, would be excited about that. Let's, let's turn to Luke 13 now, starting in verse 10. Let me just read the story. It says, On a Sabbath, Jesus was teaching in one of the synagogues. And a woman was there who had been crippled by a spirit for 18 years. She was bent over and could not straighten up at all. When Jesus saw her, he called her forward and said to her, Woman, you are set free from your infirmity. Then he put his hands on her, and immediately she straightened up and praised God. Indignant because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath, The synagogue ruler said to the people, There are six days for work, so come and be healed on those days, not on the Sabbath. The Lord answered him, You hypocrites! Doesn't each of you on the Sabbath untie his ox or donkey from the stall and lead it out to give it water? Then should not this woman, a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan has kept bound for eighteen long years, be set free on the Sabbath day from what bound her? When he said this, all his opponents were humiliated. But the people were delighted with all the wonderful things that he was doing. Okay, so let me just summarize that real quick. Jesus is speaking in the synagogues, typically what he did on a Sunday, or I'm sorry, on a Saturday, because that was the Sabbath back then. And and the idea is, is as he's teaching, this woman is there. It doesn't say that she came to be healed. This just seemed like a woman who, who typically attended the synagogue service to hear the word of God. Anyways, uh, in the middle of his service, he, he stops and says, hey... You know, such as woman who's been crippled for 18 years, he has her straighten up and has her walk and has her, you know, walk normally. Something she hadn't done in 18 years. And it says all the people were delighted. They're amazed. They're blown away. I mean, what, what a miracle. But the religious leaders look at it and said, hey, you can't do that on a Saturday. You can't do that on a Sabbath. And they were indignant. It says they were furious with him. And Jesus says, wait a second. You're telling me I can't heal on a Sabbath? You know, their their idea is you're not supposed to work on the Sabbath and healing is work. And so what he says to them, he says, wait a second, how about you guys? If you've got a donkey, okay, and it's thirsty on the Sabbath, what do you do? You untie it and you lead it to water, don't you? Of course you do. He goes, so you're telling me it's okay to do that with your donkey? And here's a woman 
who's bound with this, this, this crippling disease, and you're telling me that I can't heal her on a Sabbath? Here's a woman, a person. We're not talking about a donkey. We're not talking about an ox. Here's a person who's been bound, and I'm setting her free, and you're telling me that that's wrong? And it says right then that, that his opponents were humiliated. It doesn't say that they were repentant. It just said that they were humiliated. The other people, though, they were delighted. Now, now this issue of, uh, of the Sabbath, you know, when they were getting angry at Jesus, the truth is, is that probably really wasn't the issue, okay? Because remember, um, remember a few weeks back when we talked about Jesus healing that demon-possessed guy, and after he did it, what they say? You did it by the power of, of Satan or Beelzebub. You know, and, and the whole point was, no matter what miracle Jesus did, they were going to find something wrong in it. So here, you know, it's, it's Saturday. Yeah, he can't do that on Saturday. Here's what was going on. And the sad thing is that this still goes on in churches today. Um, the Pharisees were very into themselves. They're very ego-driven. Um, you could, you know, they, they, they wanted to keep their crowd, their people, they wanted to be the ones up on the pedestal that everyone looked up to. Suddenly, you've got this other leader now. You've got Jesus. And all the people are seeing these miracles he's doing, and they're all starting to follow him. And so the Pharisees aren't even observing Jesus and really thinking through what he's doing. All they're thinking is, he's taking my people. My people are going to him. And so they're getting all fired up, and, and so they're trying to turn the people away from Jesus. So when Jesus does a miracle, they quickly go, hey, but he did it on Saturday. Did you see that? He did that on Saturday. What a horrible thing. And as you study the life of Christ, you'll see that it is these religious leaders who really turn the hearts of the people and, and turn them against Jesus. And that leads to his crucifixion. So this is, very, you know, this is some of the beginning stages of how the people are turning away from God. At this point, they're not. At this point, they're rejoicing. And they just say, okay, the religious leaders are a little fired up, but, but Jesus humiliates them. And that's, that's really the issue of, of what's going on is that they're losing people. I mean, can you imagine, could you imagine if, um, let's say someone was in this church, okay, um, that, that was crippled. Let's say someone was in this service. You know, we had someone in every, every service, it seemed to work out, but, uh, you know, no one here. Okay, and, uh, you know, the, the idea is, let, let's say there was a member of, of our congregation in this room that everyone knew, and you knew that person for 18 years, and you knew they were crippled for 18 years. Okay? And, and let's say in the middle of my service, I stop. And you all know this person. Maybe in your mind you're thinking of someone you've known that long um, that, that's been crippled. And imagine in the middle of service, if I went over to that person and said, be healed. And let's say the person was a paraplegic and they stand up. Imagine that happening right now. Someone you knew of and you watched that happen. What would you feel at that moment? I mean, wouldn't you look at that act in just absolute awe? You would leave here going, I've never seen anything like that in my life. I've never seen that type of power. I've never experienced any. I knew that person for 18 years. You'd be blown away. You see, this was an authentic miracle. You noticed how the re religious leaders that were against Jesus, they didn't stand up and say, that was fake. That would have been easy to do. But it seems like the synagogue ruler even knew. Here, here was the lady that came week after week. She wasn't faking it for 18 years. 
Just like if I healed someone like that, it's not like you would think, oh, Francis probably plotted with her for 18 years. And she's been faking that because he was going to do that. This No, it just wasn't that. This was an authentic, it was a genuine miracle. And he knew it, so all he could say is he still wouldn't listen to that. It's just like Jesus says, you know, in Luke 16, he says, look, even if someone raises from the dead, there's still some who won't believe. Because they just refuse to believe. So that no matter what happens in your life, you just refuse to believe in God. Just like this, this, this Pharisee. He's refused to believe in Jesus, even after he does this authentic miracle. Now, now, let's go back to that scene. Let's say I did that, and someone is healed. Someone you knew for 18 years, crippled. I make them walk. What if at that moment, everyone's just in shock, just blown away. Someone stands up and says, wait a second, Francis. That was wrong. You did that on Sunday. You're not supposed to work on Sunday. You guys, don't listen to Francis. He's evil. You would just be like, what is your problem? How can you even think that way? I just saw the most amazing miracle of my life. And you're arguing about what day it is? See, the point is that this whole Sabbath issue, and I want to talk about it, you know, but it really, it didn't really hold any water because Jesus humiliated them when he explained the whole ox donkey thing. And they're like, oh yeah, okay, you got us. And they're humiliated. But I want to talk about the Sabbath issue because... Um, if you haven't encountered it already, as a Christian, there are people that are very fired up about this one. There are people who say that because you are worshiping right now on a Sunday, that you are not true believers in God. That if you were a true believer, then you would stick with the command that says to keep that seventh day holy, and you would have come last night to the Saturday night service. That's what those guys were saying about you guys. No, no, but, you know, but other, other places, you know, there are some, you know, uh, denominations within the, you know, the Christian realm that would say that we are not true believers. Well, I am, because I worshiped last night, too. But uh, that, that you guys, because you're worshiping on Sunday, that that's wrong. And then there's other people that will say, well, no, you guys are the right ones and those people who worshiped on Saturday. And that was wrong. That, that, was, that was one of the issues when we started Saturday night service. Well, some people said, well, is it okay to worship on Saturday? Is it okay to worship on Sunday? What is the truth about this? And this is important because you will be questioned on it. People will say, you know, there are people who question and they'll say, you know, that's one of the signs of a person who's apostate or who has walked away from the Lord is he'll start to worship God on Sundays. I mean, ridiculous things, but, but we need to know why it's ridiculous. Okay, and we need to be able to back it up with Scripture. And this whole issue of the Sabbath, are you supposed to have a day of rest? Okay, have you thought these things through? Okay, this, this, if you have your Bibles, turn all the way back to Genesis. Genesis 1. We're going to have to kind of fly through this, but... Genesis chapter 1, that's where, uh, that's where God creates the world. Okay, God creates the heavens and the earth. He creates all the things in it. And then, uh, you know, actually turn to Genesis chapter 2. Because in Genesis chapter 2 then... In verse 1, after God creates the world, look at what he says. Very interesting verses. Genesis 2, verse 1. It says, Thus the heavens and the earth were completed in all their vast array. By the seventh day, God had finished the work he had been doing. So on the seventh day, he rested from all his work. And God blessed the seventh day and made it holy. Because on it... He rested from all the work of creating that he had done. Okay, so now you've got the second chapter of the Bible. 
You've got the beginning of the world, and you've got God the Creator who creates the world in six days, and people go, well, did He have to take six days? Maybe not. And was He doing it just to have a pattern for mankind so that man would follow His example and us being created in His image, that we would work six days and rest one? Possibly. And is that a good example for people to follow? Seems so. But does it say anywhere in that passage that we're obligated to work six days and to rest on one day? No. Okay? So from creation, from Genesis, you don't have any commands telling us that we have to keep that day as a day of rest, that we're not allowed to work on that day. But then jump forward a few hundred years. Okay, and, and you get to Exodus chapter 20. Go to the next book of the Bible. You know, in, in Exodus, okay, in Genesis you've got, you know, the creation of the world. You've you, you got, uh, you know, man's sin, his fall. You've got the flood, you know, with Noah. And then God starts to reestablish the nations. You know, they grow out from Noah's family. He calls Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, you know, uh, Joseph, you know, the whole deal with, with Egypt. And then Moses comes and leads them out of Egypt. And that's what the book of Exodus is about. It's about their exiting um, Egypt. And uh, in Exodus 20, Moses, who is now leading the Israelites, is taken up to a mountain. And on that mountain, he is given some commands. And we know those commandments as what? The Ten Commandments. Okay, and in these Ten Commandments, God's saying, this is the way I want you to live. You're my people. You should be different from the rest of the world. I don't want you killing each other. I don't want you, uh, you know, committing adultery. I, don't, I want you to honor your parents. You know, on and on. Don't covet. Don't steal. And uh, in, in verse 8 of Exodus 20, he makes this statement. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work. Neither you, nor your son, nor your daughter, nor your manservant, or your maidservant, nor your animals, nor the alien within your gates. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, and the sea and all that is in them. But he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Okay, so now, hundreds of years after the creation, we don't have anything in that span that tells us that those people kept the Sabbath. You know, that that was a command before the time of Moses. But here, now we have a command. Okay, now not only is it stated that God did that, but now it's stated that we need to do that. The followers of God at that point were commanded, keep the Sabbath day, don't work. There were serious penalties for anyone who did work on the Sabbath. And so that's the way they lived all the way through the Old Testament. Okay, then comes Jesus. Jesus kept the Sabbath. That's what we're reading about right now. He's, uh, it's on the Sabbath day, and he is teaching in the synagogues. But Jesus re-explains the Sabbath in a, in a very, very important way. If you turn to Mark chapter 2. In Mark chapter 2, you have this story um, regarding Jesus and regarding this issue of the Sabbath. And he gives some teaching here that is, that, that is very, very important for us to understand the Sabbath. It's in Matthew chapter, I'm sorry, Mark chapter 2, verse 23, you have this story. It says, One Sabbath, Jesus was going through the grain fields. And as his disciples walked along, they began to pick some heads of grain. The Pharisee said to him, look, why are you doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath? He answered, 
Have you never read what David did when he and his companions were hungry and in need? In the days of Abiathar, the high priest, he entered the house of God and ate the consecrated bread, which is lawful only for priests to eat. And he also gave some to his companions. Then he said to them, The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. Okay, very important verse. The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. You, you get the picture? Jesus and his disciples are walking through this grain field, and they're hungry. And so they start picking grain. You know, maybe they just, you know, popped it right in their mouths, or maybe they're, you know, getting a little basket, they're going to make some bread or, or whatever. Anyways, either way, they were picking some grain because they were hungry. And the, the Pharisees come along and say, wait a second. The religious leaders go, you just picked grain. That's reaping. Whenever you pull something out of the ground like that, that's like reaping. You're, you're pulling food. And so, therefore, you're working. You're working on the Sabbath. That's a clear violation. And Jesus says to them, you ever read the Old Testament? You ever read that story about David when he and his companions were just starving? What did they do? He says, they went and they actually took the bread, the sacred bread that was consecrated, that was only supposed to be for the priest. But they went in there, they took that bread and they split it and they ate it. Now, why did they do that? Why was that okay for David? He says, it's the same principle here. You've got to understand, the Sabbath was made for man. He's saying the whole point, Jesus says the whole point of the Sabbath was God did that for us. It was like a gift to us. It was something that was given for our benefit. It's not like God looked down at the world and said, I hate those people. How can I punish them? I'll make them rest. You know, that, is, that wasn't the point. The whole point was he looks at his creation and says, look, the way that I designed you is I want you to rest. This is a gift to you. I did not make you to work seven days in a, in a week. This is a blessing. This is a gift. And, and the Sabbath was made for your benefit. The Sabbath was made for man, not the other way around. And, and so the whole point Jesus is making is, he goes, look, here we are. It, yes, it's the Sabbath day. And, and it's, a, it's a day that God has given to us. What do you think God would want us to do while we're starving? You think he's saying, suffer? Because it's the Sabbath? No, he wants me to rest. And so if, if the, the most restful thing I could do was eat, that's what he would want me to do. Because the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. And what had happened in that day is that the Pharisees, the religious leaders, they tacked on so many regulations on that day that the Sabbath became a burden. That actually, for a lot of them, it was a day that they would dread because there were so many regulations that the Pharisees made up. Not that God put there, but the Pharisees made up because they, they kind of expounded and took some, uh, some, some license to expound on what God had already said. And he says, well, okay, if you work, uh, or, or no work means you can only walk like 10 feet from your house. Okay, and so you'd have to think through, okay, Sabbath, oh, great. You know, I want to go to the store, or I don't want to do whatever, I, I, but I can't walk more intensely. There's so many regulations, and they started making loopholes. And so what, what some of the Pharisees did, if they had to go beyond, you know, whatever limit that was, what they would do is that they would tie a rope to themselves, tied to something in the house, and they would walk out the house and say, look, I'm still in the house, kind of technically. I'm connected to it. I mean, these are things they literally did. Sometimes on the night before Sabbath, they would set some of their furniture far away from their house and saying, look, my house is over there also, so I can technically go to that spot as well and go however many feet from that. 
I mean, it just became ridiculous. It became this burden, and the Pharisees were meticulous, and they're watching. Hey, wait a second. You can't do that on the Sabbath. You can't do this. You can't do that. And Jesus says, look, yes, the Sabbath is important, but understand the Sabbath was made for man. Man was not created to fit into the Sabbath mold. It was the other way around. That was for our benefit. And so he explains that. And so you see Jesus and his disciples, they observe the Sabbath, you know, as as long as we see in the Gospels. Then you come to the book of Acts. Now, in the book of Acts, you guys know that Acts tells us the period um, after Jesus' resurrection and his ascension into heaven. It kind of shows us the history of the early church. Now, an interesting thing happens in the book of Acts. In the book of Acts, you don't see this commitment to the Sabbath. You don't see this commitment to the seventh day of the week. You do see it in the Jewish people there. But as far as, far as the Christians go, the, the followers of Christ, you don't necessarily see them ever observing the Sabbath. Okay? That, that's, it seems like... Now, and this is where it gets a little muddy and kind of a gray area of, okay, was it okay that they quit doing the Sabbath on Saturday? Or did they really... And, and the only hints we have is we have like in Acts chapter 20, verse 7, it says, uh, let me turn there, Acts 20, verse 7, it says, on the first day of the week, we came together to break bread. Okay, so, so now, you know, and this is the only hint we have, is, is, is that it seems like they came together on the first day of the week to break bread, and we have further... Uh, Support for this in the, in the book of First Corinthians, where Paul talks about how on the first day of the week they would come and they would take that offering. And so, you know, we kind of piece things together. We look at some early church history, and it sure seems like they set apart the first day of the week. And there's some uh, speculation as to why. Um, the most predominant thought is that su- Sunday was the day that Jesus rose from the grave. And so just like Jesus changed the Passover that they used to celebrate, and he says, no, now, you, now the bread represents my body and the cup represents my blood. It's, it's the idea of, okay, just like they changed that, the idea is now we'll worship God on Sunday because that's the day that he rose from the grave and we'll celebrate his resurrection on the first day of the week because that's when he rose from the grave. Now, in the Bible, though, is that commanded to worship on the first day of the week? No. There's nothing in the New Testament that tells us that that's the day. It doesn't say that that's the new Sabbath either. It doesn't say anything about that. And so we don't have a hard, fast law. We kind of have this church history. We kind of see, seems like that's what the early church did. And so that's kind of the pattern that we have followed. Now, there's nothing else really said about the, uh, the Sabbath until you get to the book of Colossians. Okay, now turn a few uh, books forward. Um, after Acts, Romans, 1st and Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, then Colossians. Colossians chapter 2, we have some important instruction regarding the Sabbath. I know it's, just, it's a lot of info this week, but uh, stick with me. Colossians 2, verse 13 says this. When you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your sinful nature... God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins, having canceled the written code with its regulations that was against us and that stood opposed to us. He took it away, nailing it to the cross. And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, 
triumphing, triumphing over them by the cross. Then verse 16. Therefore, do not let anyone judge you by what you eat or drink or with regard to a religious festival, a new moon celebration or a Sabbath day. These are a shadow of the things that were to come. The reality, however, is found in Christ. Okay? Very, very important passage. Okay. It's talking about the death of Jesus. Okay, why did Jesus die on the cross? The Bible explains that we have these commands. Okay? And, and, and it's the law. It's those Ten Commandments. It's the law of Moses. And, and it explains that in Galatians that the whole purpose of that law was to instruct us and to show us that we are lawbreakers. We're guilty. I mean, everyone in this room has to look at the Ten Commandments and, and admit, I've broken them. Maybe not all of them. Maybe all of them. But man, no one's been able to keep those perfectly. I mean, you, you, you honored your parents perfectly. You never coveted, you never desired what anyone else had. You never lied, you never stole, you never, well, maybe you never killed anyone. But you know, you go on and, and it's like, man, I've broken some of those. And the whole point is, okay, so I'm guilty. There's a punishment for my sin. See, that's what the cross was all about. Jesus on that cross, 2 Corinthians 5 tells us that he was paying the penalty for us breaking the law. You see, if Jesus didn't do that, then at the end of my life, I've got to pay for everything I did wrong. But the Bible says those of us who believe in Jesus, who believe that he died for us, he already paid it for us. Okay? But if you come here today and go, I don't need what Jesus did on the cross. I'm a good person. I'll come before God. I'll get, I'll get in because I'm so good. No, what's going to happen is if you don't believe that he paid the penalty, you will pay the penalty for your sins at the end of your life. Now, but in addition to just dying for our I shouldn't say just dying for in addition to dying for our sins, what we see here in Colossians 2 is that when, when he died on that cross, verse 14 says that he canceled the written code with its regulations that was against us, that he took that away, he nailed the code itself, those laws, those commandments, to the cross. And that's why verse 16 says, that's why you shouldn't let anyone judge you in regards to what you eat or drink. See, in the Old Testament, there were dietary laws as well. And some people still follow those and say, no, you can't eat this, you can't eat this, that's not kosher, this isn't kosher. And the whole point is, is it's according to those laws. But, the, but what he says is that old law was nailed to the cross, so don't let anyone judge you regarding that. He also says, don't let anyone judge you in regards to the festivals. You know, the, to Passover, the Feast of Booths, those types of things. He says, don't let anyone judge you regarding a new moon festival. New moon festivals weren't mentioned a lot, but uh, in numbers, it's basically the new moon comes out, they blow some trumpets. So, but, but he says, don't worry about any of those old regulations. But what I want to get to is he also mentions the Sabbath. He says, don't let anyone judge you in regards to a Sabbath, a Sabbath day. He says, because that was all a shadow. Okay, that old code was all a shadow of what to come. Now that Christ is here, that's the reality. That's what matters. It doesn't matter if you worship Him on Saturday or you worship on Sunday or Monday or Tuesday. What matters is that you worship Christ. That does matter. That's where the reality is. It's all about Christ. Now some will say, well, then how come you would say we have to obey the other nine commandments? Because does that mean that I'm free to go out and kill now? No. Because all nine, nine out of ten commands are reinstated in the New Testament. 
They're restated in the New Testament. The Sabbath is the only one that is not, except in this context where he says you aren't to judge someone based upon the day. And if that isn't clear enough, let me turn you to one last passage, and that's Romans chapter 14. Okay, this one just makes it crystal clear. Okay, and this is important, not just for the Sabbath issue, you guys. This has to deal with a lot of things that we're going to deal with in life. Okay, so make sure you get this one. It's Romans chapter 14, verse 5. Romans 14, verse 5. It says this. One man considers one day more sacred than another. Another man considers every day alike. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. He who regards one day as special does so to the Lord. He who eats meat eats to the Lord, for he gives thanks to God. He abstains, does so to the Lord, and he gives thanks to God. Okay, this is a very important passage. Okay, the church has started at this point. Church is going on, and here's Paul, one of the apostles, and, and here's an issue that arises. Some people are saying, we have to keep the Sabbath on Saturday. That's the way it's been since creation. Others say, well, well, we have to keep the Sabbath, but we really need to keep it on Sunday, because Sunday was the day that he rose. And Paul says, then another guy will come along and say, you guys, all that stuff is done. It doesn't matter. All the days are alike now. And what was Paul's answer to that? See, very easily Paul could have set the record straight and said, okay, it's Saturday. You see, because he's done that. I mean, if you look at the epistles, that's what he does as an apostle. He tells the people, look, this is what God wants. Here, it's laid out. This is what Jesus said. Here's the law. And he does that in many instances. And he tells the church, look, here's an absolute. But in this instant, he, he doesn't do that. He doesn't say what day. What his answer is, is that each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. He says, regarding this issue, you just have to be convinced in your own mind that you're doing what is right. That means if you were to stand before God in all of his majesty, if you before that throne of God Whatever in your mind you are sure He wants you to do, whatever you're convinced He wants you to do, then you need to do it. And each man, the whole point is that one guy may say, Sunday, I, I think it's Sunday, I really think God wants me to do it. And he says, well then you should be convinced in your own mind, and when you regard that day as special, do it as unto the Lord. Then do so. Make it Sunday. Make it Saturday. Make it Wednesday. He goes, as long as you're convinced in your own mind, See, because this is an issue where the Bible is not absolutely clear. There's not a command that says this is the day. He says, so in that case, you have a freedom. But with your freedom comes responsibility. You're still responsible. Just because I say, okay, you, you have freedom and what you do with the Sabbath doesn't mean like, okay, I'll do whatever. There's a serious responsibility to that because you have to be convinced in your own mind. You have to think it through. And that's where so many Christians blow it. We don't think things through. I mean, all he's asking for is two simple thoughts. Number one, be convinced in your mind of what is right. And number two, once you do it, do it as unto the Lord. You do what's most honoring to the Lord. I mean, whenever you make a decision, just think through those two things. Is there a right decision? And what would honor God the most? That's all he's asking us to do. On the things where, where they're not absolutes. 
And my question is, is, have you ever done that with the issue of the Sabbath? Have you really thought through, okay, if, if God is my witness, if, if Him is my judge, and I've really thought it through what He would want me to do, and you've thought through all, the, all you know of Scripture, and you think, okay, well, that was His design in creation. That's what He did, you know, with, with the Israelites. He commanded them. I saw Jesus doing it and saying that the Sabbath was made for me. You know, I, I see the early church. It seems like they came together on Sunday. You know, the Bible does say, you know, hey, and when you come to that, as long as you've thought it through, you may still feel like, no, Saturday's a day. Or you may feel like, no, Sunday has to be the day. Or you may go, no, I really think that the Sabbath is a bosh. As long as your motive is to the Lord. That's the point of this. Are you doing it because you really believe that's what God wants you to do? Or when it comes to a Sabbath day, have you just done whatever you felt like doing? Have you really thought through? Or is it just, you know, this Sunday, well, I feel like going to church, I'll go to church. Or doing your mind go, okay, no, I've really thought this one through and really think God wants me to set aside a day. And so that's a priority for me every week. Or he doesn't want me to work on that day. And so that's a priority to me every day. But I've thought it through and I think what God would want me to do, not what I selfishly want to do. I want you to think through your decisions that you're, you're currently making. And think through, okay, are you... Uh, are you doing it because God wants you to do that? Have you thought through the decision-making process of what is right? Do I know anything in Scripture that speaks to this? And then what, what would be the most honoring thing to do? What's the most honoring thing for you? If you feel like, well, I think God wants me to come to church twice a month, and you think that would honor Him the most, and I think that's His principle for me in Scripture, great, do it and do it with all your heart. As long as you're fully convinced in your own mind that's what God wants you to do, then do it. I'm not going to judge you. See, because that's your liberty. But with that liberty comes responsibility. A couple things that can ruin a church. One is when we get legalistic about the things that the Bible gives us freedom on. The other thing is when we, are, we give freedom to the things that the Bible has commanded and we give liberty you see churches struggle both ways there are some churches who try to make law out of things that aren't in scripture where we have freedom there's other churches that give us freedom where the bible says no that's absolute sin you know and, and well the world's kind of accepting this so we'll accept it also no you got to take a hard stand jesus said that that's that's sin that's immorality or that's adultery or that's wrong and you go oh no that's that's what the bible says we're gonna make a stand on that but the other things where there's freedom, we don't dare take a stand and say that's an absolute. For example, uh, how we dress. Is it okay to wear jeans to church? I wore these for a reason. Okay? I mean, the whole thought is, okay, wh where do you see in Scripture? Because I've gotten comments. You know, the times I have worn jeans or whatever, I'll, I'll get emails. I loved your message. Hated your pants. You know, <laughs> fine. You know, but, but the whole thought of of that is sin for you to dress that way and I understand the logic now some people will say to me they go Francis you gotta understand to me you're supposed to give your best to God and I say yeah and I believe you're supposed to give your best to God every day but if we set aside Sunday as the best shouldn't we wear our best clothes in my mind I think I need to dress up wear my best because I'm giving my best to the Lord and that's the way I view a Sunday morning or a Saturday night or whatever it is and that's the way I worship the Lord and I look at that person and I say man that's awesome 
That's great. That's wonderful that in your mind, then you better keep dressing up. You better keep doing that. And don't let me stop you. That's very, very important because you're convinced in your own mind. So you need to do that to the Lord. But you also have to understand that in Scripture, there's no command that way. And the only thing I see about the issue of dress has to do with the Pharisees and saying, wow, you guys are in your nice long robes and you're so beautiful on the outside. So you get all this respect from people. But he goes, I see what's really in your heart. And so as I look at that passage, I think to myself, for me anyways, as the leader in this church, I think to myself, you know, I used to wear a tie. You know, I used to get dressed up. And then I thought, I'm the only one in the room with a tie. You know, and suddenly I started thinking through that passage. I thought, you know what? I don't want to be. I'm not set apart from everyone else. I want to look like everyone else. I want to be like everyone else. And what I want to be different is what's inside of me. And as people see me, whether it be on television or, or, you know, coming in this room, I want them to see, look, I'm just like everyone else. I'm not setting myself up like this Pharisee religious leader. I am just like you. But inwardly, man, I have this heart where I just want to do what's right in God's eyes. And for me, I really thought this one through. And I thought, you know, I think it, it's to me what is right, what is honoring. If I had to stand before God, I really felt like, you know what, this is what I should wear. You know, and I should dress and I should be the same guy seven days a week, whether I'm on a, on a platform or not. And that that's the message I need to communicate to the world right now. And so for me, I feel like this is honoring to God. Now, you know, the only, only principles we have of dress, you know, is, is that, you know, also there's, there's a stumbling block issue. And we have talked about that, you know, where, where the Bible says you shouldn't cause someone else to stumble. And that's why every time around springtime, I'll give the little hoochie talk, you know, and say, hey, you know, let's, let's watch how we dress, you know, and, and the whole point of, we don't want to cause someone else to stumble, right? And we really want to think in church, let me, let me not cause my brother to stumble, you know, or my sister to stumble. You know, I'm, so that's a concept I have to think through. I, I had to look at the mirror this morning and go, do I look too good to where I'm <laughs> distracting some of you and you can't concentrate on the message? But I've never gotten an email that way yet. So, uh, you know, I figure I'm saying, but the whole thought is, okay, I don't want to be distracting. I think through these principles, but ultimately there's freedom. And you got to go, okay, how am I? What is God? If I had to stand before God, you know, because, because maybe I would dress up for the sake of other people when that's not even what God wants me to do. And each person's got to be convinced in his own mind. Okay, so let's not get legalistic about things that are liberties and not, let's not give freedom to things that are absolute because both those things are very dangerous in the church.